Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. All right, Luke chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was left, or led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. Now, in the chapter just before this one that we're reading, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And as he's baptized, he comes up out of the water, and there's a voice from heaven that proclaims to everyone assembled there that Jesus is my son, this voice of heaven, this voice of God says, with him I am well pleased. Jesus has this incredible moment. And have you ever experienced a moment like this, where, where you were uh, given praise and honor by somebody that you had the utmost respect for? Like for us, that's one of the most meaningful, highest of highs. And so Jesus has this moment in Luke 3, and then where we find him in Luke chapter 4, He's immediately driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, driven out into this dry and barren place. And it says here that for 40 days, Jesus ate nothing and drank nothing. So Jesus enters the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit, it tells us. And it's in that fullness that he slowly begins to empty himself of everything else. You see, friends, As we enter into this coronavirus wilderness, we must understand that the wilderness is a place of emptying ourselves, of all that is not God. Notice Jesus enters the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. And what we'll see at the end of this passage is that has not changed. God has not left him. God has not said, okay, now you're in the wilderness, go and figure it out. What he finds is that God is ever more present in that moment. But what he also finds is that a lot of things are being stripped away. And what what I think this moment is for the American church and for us as individuals is a moment of stripping away. I, I don't think, as we discussed, we began this discussion with why is this happening? I don't think God was like, okay, now they need a test. Now they need a trial. I think God is taking the factors that are before him, the things on the ground, and saying, okay, how do I manifest my presence? How do I show myself faithful in suffering? How do I show myself strong in in places where the society is showing itself weak? And so I think this is a moment where God is is stripping some things away for us. And I think uh, he's, he's sort of asking of us three questions. And in this passage, Jesus and Satan have a conversation. Now, if you're joining us today and you are not a believer in any way, and I just said Satan, and your image of, you know, a guy with a pitchfork and, you know, pointy ears and a pointy tail, and you're like, is this guy serious? Like, nobody believes this stuff anymore. What's going on? Is is, is he really going to talk about Satan? Can I just invite you to bear with us for just a moment? Because I think there's so much light that comes out of this conversation. And can I say but I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that that maybe this moment is causing you to ask some bigger questions. And so can I just encourage you, keep on with the questions, stay within the conversation, even if me talking about Satan immediately paints me in your eyes as a crazy person, I'm so glad. 
Welcome. We're so glad you're here. But let's look at this conversation that Jesus and Satan have, because I think that it has so much to say to us in this moment. All right, so let's continue on in verse 3. It says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God to Jesus, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him from the Scriptures, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Now consider how hungry Jesus must be. He is fully human. And here Satan is asking him to do something that apparently is well within his power. But Jesus refuses him. Now, I, I want to stop right there because Jesus is experiencing hunger at a level that most of us listening and a part of this conversation have not experienced. Now, for you in this moment of coronavirus, you may be experiencing anxiety, a, a sort of disorienting feeling. Uh, and, and can I just say, these are completely human and understandable responses to what's going on. Oh, in my lifetime, I'm 35 years old. I've never experienced anything like this. And, and I, I think there's more yet to come. Uh, that will be such a, a, a dissolving of some of the things that we've come to accept as normal. And so for you, if you're feeling a, li a little bit of that high-level anxiety, can, can you just resonate with what Jesus is feeling here? He's hungry. He's human. He's sensing that. And if you're feeling like things are a little bit um, dissolved in your world, can you understand that that's okay? Uh, and that Jesus is going to meet you there? But Satan basically says to him, Jesus, okay, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, obviously, many of us observe some of the craziness in the grocery stores this week. Uh, for many of us, we've never had to, to fear where our next meal might come from. And I, and I think we're far from that. Uh, I, I do think preparation is a good principle, but I think we're far from a moment of, of, of freaking out and ransacking the grocery stores, obviously. Uh, people were stocking up when I was in the store on Friday. I was doing some shopping uh, for our own house and for the food pantry that we serve, and we're going to have a lot more to say about that as these weeks unfold, uh, especially for people that on a good week uh, are food insecure. Now when some of these things in our society are breaking down, we have a greater call on our lives uh, to, to embrace them and to walk alongside them. But people were stocking up in the grocery stores. And, and, and what I think this is, is a manifestation of a deeper hunger. You see, we want to be in control. We want to establish our own security. And in this moment, when the virus is sort of is making its way across our landscape, one of the ways that we feel like we can grab control is to stock our pantries and our refrigerators. It's something that we can handle. You know, for some of us, it's even a comfort, right? Like, what is the food that I cannot live without for the next couple of weeks? But here's what I think is going on. I think this is going on here in Luke chapter 4. Satan is, is going after Jesus' security. Remember, Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. And in this moment, Satan is saying, will you establish your own security? And notice that Jesus refuses him. Jesus says, I will not let my security and my comfort come from anything but God. And I think in this moment of, of coronavirus, in this moment that we are having to respond uh, as a church, I think this question is being asked of all of us. Where does our security lie? Where do we find comfort? Often we can manage the things that are going on in our world. We can control them. We, we, in a way, we don't really need God to come in and to be a part of it. And so I think this first question that is being asked of us as a church 
is where does our security come from? And, and, and I want to say this, I'll say this after each kind of uh, pillar of this conversation, but there is such a profound hope in the midst of this. This is not God trying to show you, look how terrible you are. God always does this kind of work, this kind of furnace level work in order to produce a greater beauty in us and a greater hope in us. And so even as we're being asked, where is our security? God is offering himself to us. But I think this is the first place that God is calling us to examine ourselves. The psalmist in Psalm 46, a king named David, who wrote poetry and was the leader of the nation of Israel, he writes of this kind of security. He says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with their tumult. Friends, God is inviting us in this moment to see that our security is secure in Him. And so let us just let that question sort of sit on us this morning. Where is our security? Let's continue on as we see this conversation between the devil and Jesus. It says, Then the devil led him up, Jesus, and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give all their glory and all their authority, for it has been given over to me, and I will give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, it may seem incredibly strange to you, even as a Christian, that Satan is offering Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and asking Jesus to worship him. And, and, and apparently Jesus doesn't say, well, that's not yours to give. Jesus kind of goes along with it, that apparently Satan can, can give this kind of authority and glory. But what Satan goes after here is Jesus' heart. And, and the beauty of this moment is that Jesus' heart is undivided. Satan says, look, here are all the benefits if you'll just bow down to me. And Jesus says, no, it is my call and my life and the expression of who I am to worship God and God alone. Now, here, here's, here's the thing. This coronavirus moment is probably not going to tempt you to become a Satan worshiper. Probably not going to be, you know, black cats and seances happening in your house. That's probably not what this moment is going to ask of us. But in some ways, it's kind of ironic that this moment of social distancing is going to push us to our homes, you know, to the digital worlds of, of streaming services and social media. What's more is that the fear of scarcity and sickness and pain can cause our hearts to falter, to be full of fear. And it's in this moment that, that this question that, that, that Satan asked Jesus is not maybe exactly the one that's being put before us, but, but the same sort of idea is being asked of us. Where is our heart going to find its refuge? Where is our heart going to find its life in this moment? Are we going to sort of mindlessly entertain away however long this happens? Are we going to uh, allow the, the, the constant refreshing of the news cycle to be our foundation? And to see that we've, like Jesus said, we've built our house on sinking sand? Or are we going to set our hearts on Jesus? 
Are we going to set our hearts on the one who has gone to the cross, who has shed his blood, taking suffering like the, the suffering that we are experiencing, the suffering that so many of our neighbors will be experiencing, taking that kind of suffering and exhausting it and disembodying it and, and, and robbing it of its power? Are we going to allow our heart to be set on Jesus? You see, I think that the second area that this moment is challenging us is in our worship. What is our heart set towards? Where does our heart lie? Where does our safety and our security lie? The psalmist, again, David from Psalm 46 writes, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. The nations are in uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice in the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And friends, what we see is that in these profound moments where all is sort of in question, where everything is uncertain, is that God is offering his presence to us fully. He is coming near to us. He is wanting to shelter and offer refuge for our hearts He's showing us that there is a river that makes glad the city of God because God himself is there. And so, friends, in this moment, I want to encourage you to just examine our hearts and to allow God to come and be present. Where are you feeling fearful? Where are you feeling like there's not going to be enough, that there's scarcity? Where are you just kind of trying to, to, to live in a malaise and sort of numb yourself to what's going on? Would you allow God to show you his heart? That his heart is for you. That his heart is for the vulnerable. That his heart is that we would be a people that express the, the abundance and the rest and the hope that comes with the kingdom of God, that comes with the presence of Jesus. And so in these moments, I think that this question is being asked of us. Where is your heart? The last thing that we see in this conversation, this very strange conversation between the devil and Satan, as, or the devil and Jesus, as the devil is literally quoting scripture at Jesus. It says in Luke 4, chapter, or verse 9, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, remember what Jesus heard when he came up out of the waters? The voice proclaimed to Jesus, If, or he proclaimed to Jesus, You are my Son. With him I am well pleased. And then Satan keeps calling that into question. If you are the Son of God. This is Satan's most powerful tool. The slight redirection. You know, we see this in the garden. Did God really say that? And he says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. This is a quote from Psalm 91. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The last test is about the hands that hold the life of Jesus. Satan wants Jesus to take matters into his own hands again. But it's not, it, this time it's not simply about security or provision. It's about salvation. Now, coronavirus, with all of its horrible reminders of, of the death and the suffering that are part of this world, is asking of us this question. Who do we trust to save us? And friends, I'm not mongering on fear. I'm not saying, okay, like the world's going to end tomorrow. You need to figure out your, your life with God. But what I'm saying to you is that these questions are all questions of where does our hope reside? 
Satan offers to Jesus, he says, look, you can do this amazing trick. You can go up to the, the top of the most uh, populous place in Jerusalem and jump off, and you'll do this amazing magic trick for God, and everybody will see, and they'll know you're the king. But what this moment is offering us is asking this question, who do we trust to save us? What is the story that we are living out? Satan thinks that Jesus needs to prove that he's the son of God to everyone around him. Satan thinks that he needs to, to gather a following so that he can lead a revolt against the powers that be. But Jesus understands, as C.S. Lewis says in his Chronicles of Narnia, that there is a deeper magic. That Jesus doesn't need to, to perform these sort of amazing miracles and, and sort of show the world that he is God. Jesus is not running from the suffering, but he's running towards it. And the story that we are living out as people of the Jesus way, is exactly this suffering. That, that in the face of suffering, in the face of these moments where it seems like our world is disintegrating around us, we find our identity not in running away from these things, not in trying to find another way out, but like our Savior, like our Lord and King, in going through them. We as the people of God entrust ourselves to Jesus. We entrust ourselves that in the face of, of suffering, in the faith, face of death, that there is a way that, that is a greater way. That even as we endure pain, as we carry the burdens of our neighbors, that there is resurrection on the other side, that there is hope. And friends, in this moment, there is a profound hope before us because of what Jesus has done. Jesus didn't deny pain. He didn't just seem to suffer. He died on a cross. He extended his hands. He embraced the suffering of the world. He lived his life casting out infirmities, of drawing near to those who were unclean with disease. And ultimately, he gives his life. And as he goes down into death, drinking it down to its full, he overcomes it in resurrection. There is a Good Friday. There is a cross when all seems lost. There is a, a moment, a dark night, when we feel like everything around us is crumbling. But there is a brighter hope, a resurrection morning, a Sunday that comes and that says that death does not get the last word, that suffering does not get to be the final straw, that Jesus' life and life everlasting is our story and our song. So friends, this morning, if you are feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders, and it has been a long, long week, can I just show you that there is a hope? Would you let the Spirit of God, through these digital airwaves and radio waves, show you that there is a divine and bright hope that we can take heart? Jesus said, in this world we will have trouble, but we can take heart because He has overcome the world. Psalm 46 ends this way. Come and behold the works of the Lord. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And he says this to us. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Would you pray with me wherever you are? Jesus, you are our refuge and our strength. God, though there is much uncertainty before us, 
God, and though even in our gathering, we sort of bear the marks of that uncertainty as we sit in living rooms, as we sit in small, isolated spaces. God, there is no place where your love cannot find. God, there is no place of fear. God, there's no place of sin in our own hearts, God, that you have not come into and shown your everlasting light. And so, God, would you make us, God, supernaturally by your power into a people of hope. God, a people of profound hope in this moment, not denying the reality that is before us, that is substantial and significant. God, but a people that follow a Jesus who took a cross that, that carried the weight of sin for all the world and robbed it of its power. God, you have broken the powers of sin and shame. God, even as we live in a world that is caught in between two stories, God, we tell the story that is the story that is true of all the world, that your hope shines brighter, that your resurrection is stronger, that your love is greater, and that we will be your people. You are a refuge. We love you. It's your name we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to transition to some. I'm going to invite my dear friend Alan to come in. I'm going to move some furniture around in our lovely studio here. So, good Father morning. Alan, good morning. Good morning, Ecclesia. This is very good. This is close this enough. Is I can very good on there, but yes, yes, indeed. So, uh, we are not social distancing at this current moment, so no. we'll have some hand washing to do. Um, so maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, there we it's go. a wide angle. There we go. Yes, it is a wide <laughs> angle. That's good. Don't let the scale fool you. So <laughs> Alan, you, you've been such a gift to me and a resource. I, I think even to some points where I was like, oh man, is that really real? Mm-hmm. Um, but just, just kind of some of your general observations, like what, what, what are the things that we're dealing with that, that kind of face America in the coming days? Mm-hmm. And again, friends, this is not doomsday prophecy. Like if they come up with a miracle cure tomorrow, like we're all going to be celebrating. Okay, so this is not fear-mongering, but this is uh, Alan's obser- observed reality, mm-hmm. some things that you've experienced. So would yeah. you just share some of those things with us? Sure. Uh, so for me, I was in Shanghai when the virus kind of became news, and that was the first time we started hearing about it was in towards the end of December, just this kind of rumors, and probably how you felt maybe three, four weeks ago, where you're just hearing some faraway news and talk of something unusual, and you kind of can laugh about it over a meal and kind of just move on to some other topic. But then towards the end of January, as it became um, kind of a, a national phenomena, and I was heading off for a holiday, uh, we watched everything shut down very quickly. We watched um, just restaurants, life. Uh, for us, church got immediately banned, all public gatherings. Um, slowly that increased to large, smaller and smaller, more restrictions. And I, and I think you're going to be able to probably expect some of that. So one thing I've been encouraging people is just to expect inconvenience in this season, not to not to expect the apocalypse, the, the, the way that so many people have been responding with hysteria. And um, that that's probably not helpful both to you and to those around you. And it only kind of feeds more of this. This is not like a hurricane. This is not like where, where roads are going to be shut and there's not going to be resources coming in, it's going to be much more about your regular life will be consistently inconvenienced. And I think it's important to not try to assert uh, your individualism in this moment. I've watched two kind of main reactions. One has been the like forced into hibernation, where you just kind of turn off the world and there's some negative things there, but also the opposite where, oh, this isn't, I'm somehow invincible, this doesn't affect me, and I'm going to go do what I will need to do and try to 
push back against all of this kind of what seems like overarching control. And that, that's not healthy. That's, it's really not going to help. So kind of accept that life's not going to be normal, and it's probably not going to be normal for a while. I hope I'm wrong, but the trend seems to be that it's going to be a few weeks, and that whatever you're experiencing now will only increase uh, stricter curfews for things, less doors open, and, and less, uh, less things to do besides be home and be with that as work, as more and more work, uh, employment opportunities will be, will be shifted. And just so, just expect that. I don't think it's, it's, you need to worry like the end of the world or anything like that. But general inconveniences are, are just part of this. Um, I've been living kind of in hiatus for two months now with it. And China, I think, did, you know, as much as it, it's like Tom Hanks from that pretty much. terminal movie. Yeah, I'm just living in, in a metaphysical airport constantly. Right. I don't, I think China did it. Be well, Tom Hanks. Job. Be well. <laughs> Uh, did a very didn't maybe struggled in the beginning, but it, it put into effect incredibly large kind of quarantines and uh, restrictions that have helped it to the, be at the place where it is now. Whether they were draconian or over the top or still are, it's not really a question of the fact that a lot of restrictions are going to come your way. So please be aware of that. Um, yeah, and I, I think to Alan's point too, what's what's so important is we have to remember the why behind the social distancing. It's, it's not like a, a thing that we're just doing because it's like, oh, this might be a good idea. We're truly lives are at stake here. And so for us, like for, for many in our congregation, and, and you know, I don't know everybody that's listening here, but for many of you, the, the, the way the disease has manifested itself so far, like, I mean, thank God, like there's, there's this hope that, that things will be fairly mild. But, but we are people that consider the needs of others. And our, our not gathering this morning is not about us shrinking away in fear. It's about truly a manifestation of what does love require of us in this moment. And so I want to continue to encourage you to take the social distancing uh, very seriously because, you know, we've all had these new terms into our cultural lexicon, right? Like, yeah. like flattening the curve, right? Yeah. Nobody's ever thought of that until two weeks ago, right? But now for us, like, that is part of our responsibility as a people. And so take that very seriously. Uh, because that is going to save lives, especially amongst uh, an incredibly vulnerable population. And we, uh, as the people of God, the, the, the people that follow Jesus, that is our heartbeat. And so we want to make sure that we're taking and heeding those instructions very well. Now, there, there's two things I want to encourage you looking um, back on this whole thing that I wish I'd kind of realized two months ago when it all started. Is one, uh, the first one is that your your behavioral and mental health is going to be the most tested part of this whole experience. If you're, you might be very fearful of getting the virus, and some of you may, and I pray that you're well and healthy and, uh, and that doesn't come your way. But for the most of us in, in, in the country, we're not going to come down with severe symptoms or get the virus. But your mental health will be tested. Uh, limited social interactions um, as your life is, is changed, as you uh, go into this. And so many of my friends and colleagues overseas in, in Shanghai and China, around the world now, are experiencing that, have experienced weeks and weeks of with little to do uh, besides spend time with the people next to them. And, and for some of you, maybe you uh, you live alone, and that's another uh, kind of isolation of itself. And for others, they're jammed together with their families in a way that is going to breed more um, uh, drama than you probably are prepared for. Uh, so mentally, you need to prepare for this. Prepare for the fact that you need to figure out community. 
um, and ways to have community, whether it's virtual or schedule this into your life or meet with people that you know are nearby in, in safe, hygienic ways. But also prepare yourself to not be overwhelmed by the news. The first two weeks that I experienced this, I you know, wake up checking my, my every message I was in China and the US. I'd be reading and scrolling to the news every 10 minutes. And it's unhealthy. And it's not, it's not healthy to be in the dark and just turn off everything. But I would suggest several things. Throughout your day, schedule and structure time to give your day, again, some sense of order. Because if you're not working the same way, if you're not having the same patterns and structures, days will start to float away from you. And it's important to not lose sight of, of what's important. So scheduling work, scheduling when you check the news so it's not every 10 minutes on your phone. You know, limit it to two or three times a day or limit it to once during whatever hour until so that you're aware, but not constantly um, overwhelmed by this. Because you're going to see CNN update things every three seconds. That's just the, the nature of our the media storm that it is. Also, avoid the, the binging of entertainment that you're going to feel. As Ian said so well earlier, this season, uh, this coronavirus inspired Lent is really an opportunity. It's a terrible thing that's happening, but it also presents great opportunity for reflection, for spiritual growth, for prayer, for increasing family time. And, and, and for so many, one of my good friends who's a worship pastor in China, him and his wife and three kids have all been forced into this self, this isolation for the last two months. And at first it was exceptionally difficult, but it's created such a blessing for their family and for them to really know each other differently. So take this and seize this opportunity uh, rather than let it just you know, push you into uh, constant uh, lethargy and sloth. Mm -hmm. Three months or two or even six weeks of just Netflix binging will, will be detrimental to your soul. Mm -hmm. So really try to limit the amount of time you just waste. Yeah, um, It's going to be hard to pass time. But yeah, I think Isaac Newton was quarantined from Oxford in the 17th century and he discovered gravity. So challenges before you yeah um a, a couple of things I, I i do want to say is so one of the challenges that are before the church is that the church is defined by embodiment by showing up mm -hmm. so you you can read throughout the history of of really human civilization and you know especially since you know jesus died on a cross christians have been known as the people that don't run away from tragedy and especially away from plague but towards it so there was a plague in uh, in the third century uh, called the Plague of Cyprian, and it crippled the Roman Empire. It killed about five million people, and a lot of the government officials and the wealthy, because they were able to, fled to the countryside. But the Christians stayed, and, and so uh, this this presents some interesting um, core uh, sort of problems for us because this is a moment that that at least in the immediate calls for us to withdraw. Like, that's what love requires of us. But we want to live with the vision of that faithfulness. We want to live in the vision of, of what does it mean for us to be creatively and self-sacrificially present for our neighbors. And that's going to become more clear. Now, we're going to listen to health officials. We need to do that. But, but for us in this moment, we have a vision before us of, of Christians who have a, a long heritage that have, have passed this down to us of being people of faith and of presence in these kinds of moments. And so we have to live in light of this tension that we're discovering. And so here's what this requires. Um, there's no manual, as I said in my letter. 
We have the Spirit of God. We have, to, we have to be, as Jesus says, as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. We have to pursue God's presence to know when is He saying move? When is He saying stay in your home? Those things are very important right now. And I know that's such a paradox because for me, and if you're like me, I feel, I feel fine right now. I want to go out. I want to make sure that everybody has enough to eat. I want to make sure that school children that are used to free and reduced lunch are getting taken care of. I want to make sure that pantries are stocked. But in this moment, we have to do that very carefully. And I think that that's going to be an interesting tension and one that we'll navigate together. Uh, a couple of things, Alan. Um, what, what, is, what have been some of the best practices that you've seen um, individuals take on in this moment? So in, you know, sort of putting away like, okay, this is a bad response to this. Mm-hmm. What have you seen as some good responses? And then after you answer that, Church, I'll have some kind of corporate things that we're going to be doing together and some resources that we'll be sharing. Yeah. I think the, the people that I've seen who have, have handled this the best have been people who have been proactive in scheduling uh, meetings and times with people, whether it's virtual. So to stay in contact, to not wait for that to happen. And, and while you're saying that, we'll, we'll have some um, some really well thought out instructions for even meeting in person. Like that that has changed for us now in light of all that we've been talking about, social distancing, even welcoming people into your homes. But there are ways to do it that are still conscious of of what it means to distance ourselves and what it means to withdraw. So, yeah. Yeah. Also, just just creating rhythms, like uh, having having set having set times that you do things. Still, still meeting together in your own home with your family. Uh, yeah. Not treating this like it's a holiday where you're just on vacation for a week, because that that will go get old very quickly. But just having creating a consistency so there's there's normalcy for you with children, because I've I've spoken to a lot of my friends with their families. Uh, kids know. Can tell what's going on even if you're not talking like you know uh, they're not even if they're just the news in the background and they can tell things are not right so you know take time to, to just talk through this with everyone um, communicate more than you know retreat uh, one of the things I wish I'd done differently and I think you're doing well is that the my first instinct was this kind of survival mode um, you know buckle down do we got to do get things and supplies and kind of not overreact but really start looking self uh, inwardly and, and I, and I encourage you. And as you've already been doing, you know, this is an opportunity to, to to see that the church is much more than going to some place on Sunday. The church is us gathered, the hope of the world, and it, our response to this is so much is such a great witness, an opportunity for the witness of the hope that is the gospel. Yeah. And as you're saying, Christians went back into cities. They went into places at the risk of themselves. So I'm not I'm not encouraging anyone to go and risk their hygiene or life. We know be smart. But also, don't be afraid. Yeah. And in that, there are opportunities to wisely and hygienically stay active and helpful and hopeful with one another. Whether that's in prayer, whether it's dropping off groceries, whether it's just checking on people that yeah. you uh, know are ill. And also, one of the people that are going to be most stressed that are often not thought about are medical professionals. So if you know doctors, you know nurses, you know people like this, they're the highest risk of getting it also. And also the most need of your prayer and your resources and concern. So uh, things that are probably not going to be a huge deal. Our food, food's going to be there. You, you don't need to worry about that as much, I think, as people have been. But let, let's remember those who are going to have the hardest seasons for this. Most of us are just going to be fighting boredom. But there are others who are going to really be fighting for their lives and to stay awake and to stay uh, alert. And all these other places and situations mm-hmm. that are happening at the same time. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's so wise. And I, just a couple of things, church, that I want to um, just kind of encourage you. So when Jesus goes to the wilderness, as we talked about in Luke 4, 
It's not so God can like press him down and crush him. It's so that he can breathe out a new thing in the life of Jesus. What you see immediately after Jesus leaves the wilderness, he goes and begins his ministry. And here's what's going to happen. Here's the, the strange crossroads we're at. Is that in this coronavirus moment, yes, we're being shaken. Like church as we know it, uh, it, it was never just a, a gathering in a building. If we as a church plant know that better than anybody, we'll gather anywhere. But what it's doing is God is breathing out new things. And so he's going to take this moment and he's going to call out new leaders. And for some of you, you're being called, like you're, you're going to be called to host people in your home and to sort of lead a micro community in this season where we can safely social distance and, and safely gather. And so I want to encourage you, like be open to what God is doing in your life. God is going to start a new movement of prayer. And, and these are some of the resources that we're going to share with you um, at, at, at our website, ecclesianj.com, is we want to, to embrace this moment, embrace the, the, the reality that we're having to pull back, that our rhythms are changing, but also take it on uh, a, a fully and understand that God is calling us to, to be active, maybe not in being present with one another, but being present to God, and, and, and also interceding, as Alan was saying for medical workers, for people that need childcare. Um, you know, so many of the schools now in our area have let out for the, you know, an indefinite amount of time. And so we want to be intercede interceders, but we also want to be people who creatively and safely show up. And so we've created a platform uh, on our website, ecclesianj.com slash corona. Um, that's just a, a sharing platform where people can share needs where people can share availability, um, people can ask for help, people can ask for spiritual uh, counseling um, digitally. And so we just wanted to make sure that there were avenues for people to ask for help. The reality is we're all going to need help over the next couple weeks. Um, there is no strength in going this alone. Uh, we're going to need each other. And what the beauty of, the, the, what, what the beauty of this moment is, and, and, and I think this is so profound, is God can take this life of the church this, this, our care for one another, as Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another, and, and extend it to the wider world. The way that we care for one another will we'll say something to the wider world and maybe want the wider world to, 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 to want that and to be a part of that. And so this is, a, I think, a profound moment where when we live as people of hope and we show up for one another, that God is going to do some incredible, creative, new things in our lives uh, collectively and individually. Uh, a couple of other things I just want to encourage you just very practically, church, towards um, is, is schedule a time for meals with your family. Try to figure out, like, if, if, you're, um, if you're in a nuclear family, try to figure that out. If you're part of an ecclesia community, try to figure out. Uh, we'll have some resources for, again, sanitary gathering, uh, small numbers, social distancing. But, but we need human contact. Um, try to figure out if you can exercise. Running is a socially distant activity. Uh, that's why I enjoy it. Um, and so walking, you know, again, six feet, but those kinds of things. Um, and connect via email and phone. Like, how many of you have talked to somebody on the phone in the last several months? Like, like why bother calling somebody when you can text them, right? Or, or sending, you know, I don't, I actually haven't looked. Are letters sanitary right now? They, they can be. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if there were carriers of coronavirus. <laughs> but, but sit down and send out a, a letter, an email of your thoughts to somebody. And if we discover that letters are sanitary, send a letter. Um, 
These kinds of practices that have kind of gone by the wayside in our culture um, are so important. Yeah. Now, any other thoughts? Just, well, I, you know, when this started for us, we were it was kind of the dead of winter, and so it's fortunate that spring has kind of been here, and there's there is opportunity to get outside still. Yeah, and you, you don't have to get close to people when you're outside. Yeah, there's just people like we're we're facing a window. And there's just people running yeah. in our view. I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. So I think the you know you can still have a, a lifestyle that is is healthy, even if you know you just doesn't have to be on your couch watching TV for the next month, and you know what you're saying, schedule meals. Cook with your family. Do things that you wouldn't be able to do before, yeah. and and make them into activities. If you're really struggling to, to do this, you know, uh, there's that temptation just to put the screens on and really lean against that this season because yeah. that will work for a little bit. But I don't think any of us are prepared for the length the length that this might go on for. And um, for even for those in China with my friends and others where I was planning to go back. The, this has gone on much longer than anyone expected, and it's still not normal. It's getting close to normal in China, but it, it, schools haven't restarted there, and maybe they're going to start again mid-April. So, you know, prepare for, in a sense, this to be long, and pray and hope that it's not. But let's not, uh, let's not you know, think of this as just a long spring break. I just got a lovely text message from our dear brother, Tom Deerduff. Hello, Tom. And he says that mail is safe, so Thanks, write a letter. That's great. <laughs> Um, friends, Alan, thank you so much. Like pleasure. your perspective, I think I think in the ongoing uh, moments of this is going to be so helpful. You can uh, you can find Alan on all the all the platforms. Yeah, are you you're legally able to be on Instagram over here? I am on Instagram, <laughs> and that works without the VPN and uh, Facebook. We have a website. It's not very helpful, but uh, you know if, if you're curious, you can just message Ian, yeah. and we'll send yeah. you what we're doing. And uh, you know we're using Zoom, which worked out well, um, and there are more and more. Uh, online formats. So yeah. this is a great time for the church and for everyone, whether you're at work or whatever you're doing, to be creative, to, to try new things. And, you know, this is, this is an opportunity as much as it is a burden. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.